Well, good morning, everybody. No, come on. You are a group of people who braved the snow to be here. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. That's wonderful. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to welcome you here. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to welcome you as well. Do things a little differently. We're going to pass the offering right now. So I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and come forward and uh, pass the offering. If this is your first time with us, there's a communication card in your bulletin. Would you please please fill that out, tear it off, drop it in there, uh, or you can give it to the guest info people and they will uh, have some information for you. A couple of announcements. Next weekend is the Super Bowl and um, Tim finally realized his preaching will not compete with the Super Bowl, so we changed service times. So here at Orland, it'll be 9, 11, and 1. So that when it we have a video. We have a video from Tim on this. So let's just let's switch to that. Hey, just wanted to tell you about the Super Bowl stuff. Um, I was going to do a Richard Sherman impression. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. And talk about Casey not bringing his mediocre preaching. But you know, I'm I'm not doing that. I'm above that. Um, and if I got thrown under the bus every time I got excited and said something dumb, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Uh, I just want to tell you that Super Bowl is a big deal. And it's a big sociological deal. And so we're not going to have Sunday night service at Orland or Lockport on Sunday night for Super Bowl. That's next weekend, February 2nd. No Sunday night. At Lockport, they're going to get everybody in at 9 and 11 in the morning. At Orland, we can't. So it's going to go Saturday night the same, 345, 545. Sunday morning, 9, 11, and 1. We're adding a 1. We're basically taking 545 and moving it to 1 so that we can get everybody in. And I want to encourage you to come. And I would encourage you to come at 9 or 1 so... R11 doesn't continue to get jacked up, but, but come, be a part of this because it's going to be good. I'm going to be talking about physical margin. You're going to want to hear it. Really important, okay? And we're not doing this because I don't want to preach during the Super Bowl. I have the DVR, okay? That's not the point. The point is we want you to go, go be with somebody at the Super Bowl. Most Christians don't have any non-Christian friends anymore because they just hang out in their own little, you know, groups and, and love on each other. And that's wonderful. We need community. We need, do, we need to do that. But Jesus said we were salt. He said we were light, you know, and our light's supposed to be up on a hill. It's not supposed to be like shining in each other's faces, having little flashlight parties at our house. So we take your flashlight and your bean dip and go to a Super Bowl party. Find some of your non-Christian friends and go hang out with them. Don't spiritualize the game, you know. Somebody holds up John 3.16. Don't go, hey, do you guys know what that means? I, don't, don't do that. Just go be a friend. Just go be a normal person and hang out. And then they'll know if they ever need anybody that knows Jesus, they know you. I mean, that's what I'm asking you to do. So the Super Bowl is a bigger deal. It's not just a logistic thing. We want you to go do it, okay? Uh, get your bean dip. Get your flashlight. Go shine it somewhere. 9-11-1 at Orland. Just 9-11 at Lockport. Love you. Bye. And Joe, back over to you. It's pretty bold words for a guy that looks like a lumberjack. Anyway, um... So keep that in mind. One more announcement we have during February, we have some opportunities coming up for you to grow. So if you're new to the faith and you're looking at new ways that you can grow, we have these three primary learning experiences that we offer. Uh, they are just ways for you to get the tools you need to grow in your faith. So what we believe is all about knowing us as a church, our history, the foundational beliefs we have. After we believe, if you're struggling with how do I pray, how do I read the Bible, where do I begin with that kind of stuff, that's what we talk about there. And then living our beliefs is all about how do I live at a mission in the world. If God has asked me to change the world, how do I do that? And so we talk about some of the principles there. So you can sign up online, parkviewchurch.com slash Orland classes. 
That's all of our announcements. So um, I'm excited because I get to talk about margin. And um, it, can I just clarify something? It's cold, isn't it? It's not just me, right? No one else? Fair enough. So it's just me, okay? When it gets cold like this, I think about things differently. So you start to think about the difference between your house and your garage much differently when it's this cold outside. Do I really need that? How badly do I need that? I find that I think a lot more about breathing when it's this cold. So when you walk outside and your nose hairs immediately freeze when you take that first deep breath, you think more about breathing. The fact is most of us don't think about breathing all that often, do we? So let's just take a second here and just take a very deep breath. Come on, inhale. Hear everybody with congestion. Okay, and exhale. All right. Now apologize to the person in front of you for your breath. That's fine. Let's make the air clear. We don't think about breathing, but you know we breathe 25,000 times a day, whether we want to or not. A lot of science has been done. A lot of tests have been done, but they have proved conclusively that without breathing, you will die. 100% mortality rate for people who do not breathe. After six minutes without oxygen, your brain actually just literally shuts down. Now, I know you see the title to this sermon, it's Spiritual Margin, and now I'm talking about breathing, and you think we're going to go and talk about yoga or something like that. Can I just calm that fear in you? I am never going to be the guy who's talking about yoga, because this is a picture of what it looked like last time I tried it. And uh, that did not turn out well. And so I'm not against it. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. There's good things about doing that with your body. But there are other ways to take a deep breath and rest. I, I kind of like Ron Swanson on this, his opinion. He says, like, fishing relaxes me. It's like yoga, except I still get to kill something. So maybe that's you. Maybe you did, that's the way you take your deep breath, the way you, that you relax. And so it's obvious that breathing is important to us. We can't do without it. But what does that have to do with margin? Well, the first thing that I think comes up when I start thinking about spiritual margin is this, is that most of us don't have space to breathe well. There isn't room in our life to take really good, deep, cleansing breaths because we're very, very busy. And there's a problem with that, which is we were built to do something other than that. So in Genesis chapter 2, this is what it says. When God creates man, it says, Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So what we see from the beginning is we were built to breathe. That was God's intention for us. And the source of that first deep breath man ever took was God. So we were designed to breathe air that came straight from God, that our lives are going to be sustained by him. So when we start talking about getting busy and having no margin, a lot of times the way we know that that's happening is when we say things like, I need to stop and catch my breath. Why do we say that? Because we're starting to feel the pain of not having space to breathe well, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that our lives are at an uncontrollable pace, unsustainable pace, unmanageable pace. And we find ourselves bent over breathing deeply because life is just knocking the wind out of us. So when we start talking about spiritual margin, it is bigger than just not having enough rest. It's actually that without spiritual margin, without that different kind of space that comes from breathing in God, our souls get sick. And that's a desperate condition to be in. And so a lot of us find ourselves in a place of soul sickness today. So here's what I would equate it to. So there's nothing wrong with rest. Let me just put that out there. If you have a job that gives you vacation days and you don't take them all in a year, you don't get a medal for that. Did you know that? 
So if you've got a job that gives you vacation days, take them all. Take advantage of that. Take a chance to get away and to rest. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a problem with the way we usually think about rest. We think about it as a day off or as a vacation. The problem is it's like this. So you guys know what this is? Not everyone at once. Uh, This is an oxygen mask, right? You get an oxygen mask when you are in a state of life, when you can't breathe on your own and you need help breathing. Or if you're an NFL lineman and you run about five yards, you get one of these on the sidelines. Either way, this is something that's built to assist us. And so rest is very good at assisting us in having some margin and some space to breathe. But the problem is you can put this thing on and suck all day and not be helped if it's not connected to anything. This is worthless unless it's plugged into a source of oxygen that actually gives us life. And so a lot of times we spend our lives structuring them, trying to find rest, when basically we're breathing into an oxygen mask that's not connected to anything. And so that's where we come into the difference between regular rest and spiritual margin, because spiritual margin is all about the rhythm of inhaling and exhaling God. Inhaling and exhaling God. Well, what does that look like? Jesus actually showed us what this looked like in his own life. So in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is really, really busy. From the very first verse, he's doing all kinds of healings and teachings. He's teaching in the synagogue. He's offending people. He's starting this new world revolution. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. And then in chapter 5, he's doing the same thing. He's gathering this group of followers around him. And he actually heals a guy with leprosy, which I don't know if you've ever tried that. Not the easiest thing in the world to do. So there's all this energy and effort that Jesus is expending in his life. And right there in the middle of chapter 5, we have this very interesting passage. And this is what it says. It says that the, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and to pray. So now get this picture in your head. There are all these wounded and broken and injured and suffering people, and they all hear about the power that Jesus has, and so they're coming from everywhere to find him. Jesus is extremely popular, and his popularity just continues to rise as people keep talking about him. He's generating a lot of social media buzz. He's got more paparazzi than the Kardashians. He could have done anything at that moment, and all these people coming to him had a desperate, desperate need. And in that moment, if you are the guy healing everybody, and you choose not to, whatever you're doing instead had better be very, very, very important. And in that moment, Jesus goes away into quiet places and prayed. And notice what it says, too. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This isn't a one-time thing. This is a habit of Jesus' life to get out of the mainstream, to get out of the limelight and out of the activity, to get away with his Father and to pray. And so what he's showing us is we need to breathe. And Jesus understood this more than anybody else, even with all the things that are in front of us to do, even with all the good things that were in front of him to do. He knew if I don't step back, I'm going to get caught up in my own popularity. I'm going to read my own press and I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to lose track of what God is actually doing here. I'm going to get too busy to remember what the point of all this is. And so Jesus said, I need to step back in this moment and take a second to breathe. So for us, so much of spiritual margin is really just slowing down. Even if we're doing good stuff, it's about stepping back and taking that deep, deep breath of God that he wants us to take. Spiritual writer Wayne Mueller tells a story about being in the mission field with a South American tribe. And this tribe used to march really long distances. And they'd go miles and miles and miles. And then eventually they would just randomly stop and all sit down. And they'd rest for a couple hours. 
Can you imagine being that guy walking along with the tribe, trucking along mile, 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 and then everybody just boom, you have no idea what's going on. And so he asked the tribal leader, he said, why do they do this? And the tribal leader said, they needed times of rest to let their souls catch up with them. The reality of most of our lives is that we move so quickly, we've actually left the most important part of us behind. We are so busy and so active, even doing good things, that we have left our souls behind us. So the question to us today is, how far is our soul behind us now because of the pace of life that we're living? How far behind us have we left that most important thing? And it is important, and even Jesus says it's so important. He says, what does it benefit you? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is any activity, is any achievement, is any accomplishment, is any notoriety that you may get more important than your soul? Absolutely not. So we have to take this seriously. How far behind us have we left our souls because of what we're doing, what kind of pace we're keeping up? So in the rest of Luke chapter 5, Jesus goes out and is doing more crazy teaching and healing, doing all kinds of work of God, and then it comes back to chapter 6. And it says, on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. So again, big activity, a lot of stuff going on, and then pulls back from it and takes this deep breath alone with his father to get reconnected and recalibrated. Because you read that, I think it's funny, like, it's Jesus, right? What exactly does he have to pray about? Doesn't he know all this stuff? Isn't it like in his brain already? Like I got the master plan in mind. It's been downloaded into me. I don't need to talk to him. It wasn't so much about information as much as it was about connection and being sustained. It was about this. So Jesus knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what was ahead of him, but he knew he couldn't do it unless he connected to this deep and powerful source of life. And so that's why he stepped away from the activity and went into quiet places and prayed. Now, when we talked about margin, we started the series last week. You may have gotten to the point of thinking, well, margin is just doing nothing. Well, margin isn't doing nothing because you see that in Jesus. He did a lot of stuff and then stepped back and then did a lot of stuff and then stepped back. This is about the balance between being active and being passive. Writer Dallas Willard said, listen, you can do nothing without God, but if you do nothing, it'll be without God. There is something to it that we need to be actively doing, but we do it poorly if we don't take a rest and breathe in the, the breath of God. I know life is complicated. My life is complicated. If you've got kids, you've got a lot of stuff ahead of you. If you've got work to do in your marriage, you've got a lot to do. If you've got a demanding job and a demanding boss and a lot of hours, you've got a lot of stuff ahead of you to do. And so did Jesus. But he still said, it's worth it for me to carve out this space and to get away and to reconnect with the one who gives me life. I just wonder, I wonder about Jesus sometimes because he only had three years of life on earth. And I'm sure he knew that. And he also had a group of disciples that were not exactly the sharpest knives in the drawer. You read the stories of them, you're like, how do you guys not get this? So Jesus very, very easily could have said, listen, these guys are incompetent. I've only got three years, so I'm just going to knock all this out in the time that I have. And he could have pounded out the 80-hour Messiah weeks. He could have done that. But I wonder if he would have been as effective. Would Jesus have had the powerful impact on the world if he hadn't taken those moments and gone off into quiet places and prayed? Because we tend to think the bigger impact we have in our own lives and our own world comes from how much we do. But what if it's not that? What if it's all about the source from which we do it? 
What if it's about having our soul intact as we do it? So we need to breathe. We need to get away with God and to rest. But I have to tell you that breathing in God doesn't happen accidentally. It's not something we luck into. Breathing in God doesn't happen accidentally. It's something we have to chase down. We have to develop a rhythm of this activity and stepping back, and activity and stepping back. That's what this is all about. Quieting down, slowing down, so we can actually listen to God. And, and I know, can I just do some confession here? I have two really good excuses that I use to not do this. So you can use them if you want, but afterwards, hopefully you won't want to do that. I have two big excuses that I use, so let's just clear the air with these two. First of all, the first one is, I don't have time. Okay? Maybe, that's, maybe you've used that excuse before. Oh, I'd love to. I just don't have time. Can I be honest? You never will have time. Time is not something that you possess. It doesn't belong to you. So we speak that like, well, I don't have any time. I don't possess it. You won't. So turn to the person next to you, and just in a, in a moment of confession, in a moment of clearing your conscience, turn to the person next to you and say, you'll never have time. Okay? You'll never have time. You'll never have time. So that clears the air of that. So we don't have to worry about that one anymore. I'll never have time. But then the other one that I like is, and I like to use this, well, I just need to make time. So I just need to make some time for this in my life, which really is just an excuse not to have to do anything with it at the moment, right? Can we just be honest about that? I need to make some time. But think about this. How many people have you heard say, oh, if there was just one more hour in the day, or oh, if I could just have another 24 hours, how many of us have longed to make time? And if we got our way, we would just have one long eternal day. You can't make time. Time is not something you create. It is what it is. We don't make time. We take time. We have a giant pool of life of hours in the day that are ahead of us. And what we do is we grab some and we use it for a purpose. And we have to intentionally do that. We have to pursue that. It doesn't happen randomly. And I believe, I firmly believe, and I've taught people this before, there's enough time in every day for the things that matter most to us. There is plenty of time in every day for the things that matter most to us. And the response I usually get is, yeah, but there's this thing I want to have in my life and it's not there. And my response usually is, then it's not most important to you. There's something in that time you're taking that is more important than the other thing that's not there. Now listen, when it comes to this, sometimes we just have to take the time that comes up to us. Sometimes it, it, you do have to just seize a moment and make it happen. There's a great story of St. Teresa of Avila. She's an old... Uh, old dead girl. That's what I like to call them, the old dead girls and dead guys. Great speaker on the, on the Christian life, Christian spirituality. She ran this very busy convent in Italy. And so they were doing all kinds of ministry, feeding people, caring for people. So a lot of times the only moment she had to herself, and all good parents know this, is when she went to the bathroom. And so she would take her lunch and go to the bathroom and lock the door. And that would be the time when she spent eating and praying. That's not the most sanitary thing in the world, but look, you, just, you take what you got, right? And so one day she was in there praying, and apparently the story goes that Satan actually appeared. And he began jeering at her, saying, look at you. You're not a spiritual person. You're locked in the bathroom eating your lunch. Come on. How can you say that this is, this is a holy way to live? And St. Teresa was known to be kind of a spitfire, as most Italian ladies are. And she took a very deep breath and she said, well, the food is for me, the prayer is for God, and everything else that happens in here is for you. 
So sometimes you just have to seize whatever moment is in front of you, no matter what's going on. So what it is about us is we've got to get convinced that spiritual margin is actually worth having, even if it means we have it in the bathroom or in the shower or in the car or on the way to work, wherever it is, it has to become a priority that we seize onto. And the only way it becomes a priority is when we ask ourselves the question, is it more important for me to keep up the rhythm I'm on right now, where I'm running constantly, and that's the only way I really know how to do things. Or could I possibly re-envision my life in such a way that I have this space to breathe deeply in what God may have to say to me? There's a vision for that kind of life. And Paul starts talking about it in Galatians 5. Listen to what he says. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So he's basically saying, if we live breathing the, the air of God, let's just stick with that. Let's stay with that. Let's remain in that. So he's basically saying, get away and breathe in the Spirit and the presence of God. But it's not just about, remember, it's not just about something passive. It's not about doing nothing. He says, get away and breathe in the Spirit of God. But watch what happens. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the stuff that comes when we breathe in the air of God, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't, even if you came in this room today and you don't even know about the whole God-Jesus thing, you're just not sure about that, take a look at that list and tell me that that isn't what you want to see happen in your life. Very rarely do I present that to people and they go, you know, that peace is kind of overrated. I could do without that. And joy, come on, who wants joy? Self-control, nobody else has self-control, why should I? Faithfulness, come on, how good could that be for me? This list of stuff is what every human being on the planet wants. It's the reason we have infomercials. Because every one of them is built to try and satisfy one of the things that's on this list. You want the piece that comes knowing you've got six-pack abs? Well, okay, here you go, $29.95, six easy payments. That's what we have. And this list, Paul is simply saying, if you take a moment, breathe deeply in God, these are the kind of things that you will exhale into your life. Imagine what it would look like to have a world of people who are breathing in the Spirit of God and exhaling peace. There are roughly 25,000 murders in this country every year. How many of those go bye-bye when people start breathing in the Spirit of God and exhaling peace in their lives? Somewhere around 50% of marriages end in divorce. How many of those don't end if we're breathing in the Spirit and exhaling patience? And don't elbow your spouse, because that's for both of you. How much changes in our world if we have people who are breathing in the Spirit of God and exhaling self-control? How many of the things that destroy us go bye-bye when we do that? That's what he's saying. He's saying, get away with God to take that deep breath. And it could be as simple as that. That could make the transformational change in our lives that we've always wanted and that God wants for us. I would love to be a pastor who lives in an age where we don't have to hear news stories about pastors failing anymore. I really would. Because I read those stories and they get involved in affairs and pornography and, and embezzlement and all that stuff. And what I read in the base of their story is somewhere along the line, they got so engrossed in their own importance and their own busyness that they forgot to breathe. Could it be as simple as stopping the activity Backing up, breathing deeply in the Spirit. Could the solutions to the problems and the pain of our world start when we take a deep breath, stop being so scattered, 
Breathe in the Spirit of God and exhale all of this goodness we've always wanted. There's an organization called International Justice Mission, or IJM, and they are one of the most powerful organizations in stopping things like human trafficking, human slavery, and oppression of foreign governments and being a voice for the voiceless. And they are a group of attorneys and social activists and social workers, and they're located in Washington, D.C. One of the coolest things about this organization is their office is open at 8 o'clock every morning, and from 8 to 8.30 every day, no one is allowed to work. They spend time in silence and prayer. And then they come back and they do that again for another half hour at 11 o'clock. Why do they do that? Let me ask you something. You own a business. How much money is that worth to you? All these employees taking an hour to pray every day. They're basically paying them to take a deep breath because they know they enter into some of the darkest places in the world. And without that deep breath every day, it would kill them. And so most of us looking at the challenges of our life, we need to realize that without a deep breath, we're not going to make it. Without a deep breath, we live our whole life trying to do nothing but exhale. Have you ever tried that? All right, let's try it right now. Don't inhale right now, just exhale. We have EMS around here, so you should be fine. You can't do it. I tried it last night when I went home, and I can't, you can't do it. You cannot live that way. And that's what they understand is that without that deep breath of God, we will not make it. And there will not be fruit in our lives. Jesus talks about it this way. He says, if you remain in me, if you stay with me and take that deep breath of my Father, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we want to see our lives change, if we want to see the world change, it starts with changing what we're inhaling. So how do we find that? Because I know that some of you came in this room and you're just exhausted. I can see that because you're yawning. It's certainly not the sermon. You're exhausted maybe from doing a lot of good stuff. This is not just self-destructive. Maybe you're exhausted because you've been doing a lot of really good, powerful things, helping a lot of people, but you're just tapped out. Maybe it's time to just step back and remember why you're doing that in the first place and the one you're doing it for. Maybe you've been trying to live without oxygen for a while. Just go as fast as you can because if it's not going to get it's not going to get done if I'm not the one who does it. And you've forgotten where the source of life really comes from, where that first deep breath of history ever happened and where it came from. And now exhaustion and bitterness and destructive habits are starting to come into place. Let me help you find some margin today. Here's some places where you can start. The first place is in silence. In silence. Noise and distraction are all around us at all times. We live in a pretty noisy and distracted world. And the reason I know that is because I'll, I'll lead retreats and help people t- step into a time of silence, and I'll watch them start to fidget. Because like 30 seconds of silence suddenly feels like an eternity. And they're breaking out in hives, and they're itching. They want to just like crack a knuckle or something to break it. Because a lot of times it's because it's all around us, but a lot of times it's because there are things that come up in silence that we just don't want to hear. So if I can keep it noisy enough in my life, I don't have to listen to reality. I don't have to listen to what's really happening in my family. And and maybe even I don't have to listen to God. Because he may actually ask me to do something. And I don't want to do that. But here's what the psalmist says about this. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. I think this is amazing because is it possible, is it possible that if we get still for a moment, we will know he's God? 
Like, we live in a world that is not about religion, but it's a lot about spirituality and God. And part of me just wonders, if we could just quiet down for a second, would we actually find him? People have been searching for God their entire lives, and could it be as simple as just shut up? Because when you're still, he's there. So maybe it's time for us to turn off the push notifications on the phone. The dinging and the binging and the blinging that distracts us. And maybe we need to be honest about the vibrate setting anyway. Can I just do this socially? Like, vibrate does not make it silent. Right? Because you, oh, I'll put my phone on vibrate, it'll be fine. To me, that's not silent. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to be honest and just shut the thing off. And know if it's important enough, they'll leave a message. Maybe we need to kind of clean out the social media apps and the visual noise that's constantly in our fingertips and get quiet for a while. Actually listen to what's happening around us. I fear that if we don't do that, we're going to miss the fact that God is right beside us at every moment of every day. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote a poem called Aurora Lee, and there's a chunk in there that's just beautiful. She says, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. Is it possible that we're so busy plucking blackberries that we're missing the burning bush where God is currently present on fire in our lives? Is it possible that that long-term search could end if we just shut up and sit down for a second? Is it possible that God has always been there and we've simply been too busy to see or too distracted to see? So it begins with silence. We also find margin in Scripture. Scripture says about itself, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the servant of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's a powerful passage. And that word at the beginning, God-breathed, is the Greek word theopneustos. You want to say that with me? Theopneustos. Let's try it one more time. Theopneustos. I only give you those so you can use them in Scrabble. It's worth a lot of points. Theopneustos literally means God breathed into something. This is the same language that's used at the beginning of the Bible when God creates a man and breathes into him. So this book is not just a book. This book has the life of God that's been breathed into it. So maybe if we're searching for a deep breath from God, it might be good to go to the place that he's actually breathed his life into. Paul was telling Timothy, he said this, he said, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This story is filled with life and immortality. So if we want life and we want life to the full, maybe we start here. Maybe for five minutes a day we explore some life and immortality and see what happens. We cut that out, we take that time, we spend some time breathing in something that God has already breathed into. So we do that in silence, we do that in scripture, but we also do it in simplicity. Simplicity. Our lives are extreme, extremely, extraordinarily complex. There's a lot of stuff going on. And so I know through this margin series, the one thing we didn't want to do is go, here's 25 steps to getting margin in your life. Like creating a to-do list for you to figure out how not to do as much. It's kind of counterproductive, isn't it? So maybe we need a to-don't list. Maybe we need a list of things that we're going to cut out of our life. 
Because they've always been there, we've known they're there, but they just don't have any importance anymore. So we just need to slice them out. Maybe as a father or a husband, you need to lead your family on this a little bit. Are we doing too much? Are we overcommitted? Are the amount of stuff our kids doing leading to soul sickness in our family? Maybe we just need to step back and start hacking stuff out. Because there's some wisdom to that. And the psalmist says it this way. He says, teach us to number our days. Basically, put in order the days of our life that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To gain wisdom, we've got to understand reality. Like, wisdom is not just being smarter. There's a lot of people I know who know a lot of stuff and have no wisdom. And wisdom is also not about getting old. I'm sorry to say that if you feel like that's, I can't wait to get older so I'm wise. There are some old people I know that aren't so wise. It's not the same thing. It's about applied knowledge. To me, it's that really tall guy who has hit his head on the overhang of the doorway so many times. Now he just ducks without thinking about it. That's what wisdom is. It's applying what you already know. And so when we start looking at how we put our days together, we need to gain some wisdom by just saying, this is not good, this is what we're going to do. We're going to cut out some time for our souls to be healthy. And then we'll just start doing it automatically. That's when we gain a heart of wisdom. Maybe part of our simplicity needs to be de-accumulating. We kind of underestimate the power our stuff has on our spiritual life. Jesus did, and this is what he said. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We don't often think about the spiritual energy that we spend on the stuff that we own, that occupies space in our closets, in our spare rooms, in our garages. We don't often think about that. But what if we did this? I lead people in this exercise all the time. Go, think right now that tomorrow you're going to move. Okay, now some of you, that just stresses you out. So take it very softly. Tomorrow you're going to move. Let's pretend you're going to do that. And so whenever you decide that you're going to move, you go through your house and you have a list of stuff that's going on the truck and you got a list of stuff that's not going on the truck, right? Everybody does this. We do a big purge when we move. If you've never moved before, you'll do a big purge when you finally do. Now, once you've got those two lists in mind, tomorrow go and get rid of all the stuff you would get rid of if you were moving. Because if you don't need it then, you probably don't need it now. And i got to tell you, there is a powerful thing that happens to us when we purge stuff that we don't need. When we get simple in the stuff that we own, because it gives us some space to breathe. And we realize, I didn't need any of that. And we can actually take a deep breath and exhale and be healthier in that. So the question at the end of all this, and, and when we go for spiritual margin, the question that drives it all, it's all good, you know, it's all good content, it's all good information. The question that really drives it is this, how important right now is breathing to you? If you knew you were suffocating, what would you do to actually get air? How hard would you fight? Is it worth turning off the TV and maybe going to bed a little early so that you can get up a little earlier to spend some time in silence? Is it worth it to go through the list of stuff your family does and cut out the stuff that doesn't matter? Is it worth it to go through your closets and find all those projects that one day you're going to finish and just get rid of them, realizing you don't have to finish it to be important? How important is breathing to you? If you're suffocating right now, how important is it to find a spot to take a deep breath of God and breathe out all that stuff we've always wanted in our lives?
I know this personally. Uh, because last year at this time, almost to this day, I was standing here, and my wife was sitting on the front row in one of the services, and she was crying. And it's not because she was moved by the sermon or anything. <laughs> she was crying. And so to tell you why that's happening, I have to back up to the week before. Because the week before, we were in the middle of a tremendous fight. I know, you're shocked. But we were in the middle of a tremendous fight, and we're standing in our kitchen. And I remember just standing across from her, and she's crying, and I'm angry. And the reason why is because we had come to a point where our life had no margin. We were doing a lot of good stuff, but it was becoming too much good stuff. My schedule here, our daughter's schedule, getting involved in stuff, her full-time job, all the things in our life were crashing together. And we stood there, and I knew and she knew something had to change, something had to give. And so we were ready to lay everything on the table. And so we cried together and we prayed together a bit. And at the end of it, she said, listen, I'm going to go into work tomorrow, and I'm going to ask them if I can do four 10-hour days and be off on Friday with you. I said, okay, that, that sounds like a good idea. So she went in the next day, walked into her boss's office, and before she could say anything, her boss said, I'm sorry to tell you, we've eliminated your position. And I said, margin, a little bit. Can we, can we have a run-up to this, like a gradual thing here? And so we were just... It was one of those weird moments, like imagine God looking at us going, you guys get mad at me when I don't give you what you want, and then I give it to you, and it freaks you out. <laughs> so she was able to get a part-time job for the meantime, and, but the whole time we're sitting there asking each other, this just doesn't feel like the way it's supposed to be. This doesn't feel like what we're supposed to do. She took this like 50% pay cut to take this other job, and so we're dealing with the financial stuff and all that, and we're wrestling through it, and we just kept feeling this feeling like this isn't the finish point for us. And so after a lot of time and a lot of prayer and a lot of conversation, we finally said, we know what we need to do. And so she took that 50% pay cut and made it 100%. She just backed out of working altogether. Now, I'm not telling you this because I want you to think I'm awesome. Because I have to tell you, I straddle the line between freaked out and faithful every single day. I walk through our kitchen, I hear the refrigerator ticking, and I'm like, you got like three years before you can start acting up. Don't even start with me. But what I'm saying is, if you, hear, if you heard this message today and you thought, that sounds like the greatest thing that could ever happen to me, and maybe you start praying for it, I want to tell you, God wants you to have spiritual margin. It's something he's in your corner on. And if you pray for it, he'll give it to you. But you need to know that you may have to embrace something pretty radical to make that happen. But let me also encourage you in this. When it comes... And you grab that sucker and you suck in the life that comes from it. It is the greatest decision you will ever make in your entire life. There is joy and peace and patience that's happening in our lives right now. It's not perfect. It's not always the thing that we're super excited about. But it's happening. So when you pray for margin, God will give it to you. And when it comes, grab that sucker and breathe it in with everything you've got. How important is it it for you to breathe today? As we were thinking about this message, sometimes um, it's good to hear something and then actually do something with it. So since you're a captive audience, we're going to do a little experiment. Don't get nervous. It's going to be fine. Since we have this moment together, we're going to take some time and actually create some margin for you. So I'm going to lead you in a little bit of a prayer exercise. And it's not, I'm promising it's not Eastern mysticism. Jesus is coming in, so just be patient with me, okay? But I'm going to ask you right now just to bow your heads with me where you are. 
close your eyes. And I want you to start by focusing on your breathing. Take a deep breath in. Let it out. Keep doing that. Deep breath in. And just exhale slowly. There's nothing important right now that you need to get out of here for, trust me. Everything can wait. It's not as urgent as you think. Deep breath in. And just exhale. And as you're doing that, I want you to think about the safest place you know of. Maybe it's a spot in your house. Maybe it's a vacation spot. Maybe it's the Caribbean Maybe it's a favorite chair, but it should be a place where you know the, the rest of the world can't get to you, where you are safe and protected and undistracted and at rest. Just get that picture in your mind. Now just imagine yourself going to that place and just, just having a seat there. All the time, inhale. Exhale. As you sit in that place, hear this word from God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. And know that I am God. Deep breath in and deep breath out. Now I want you to imagine that Jesus steps into that safe place with you. He just walks in and has a seat beside you or across from you. What does it feel like for him to be in that moment with you, in that safe, quiet place with you? Now I want you to, you start to get a sense that he's welcoming you, saying, what is it that you have to say to me? And he's not asking you to like, what do you have to say for yourself? He's, he's asking you, what is it you want to tell me? Unedited, unscripted, uncensored. What do you want to say to me? And just just offer that to him. Whatever it is that you, that's on your heart that you want to say to Jesus today, just, just say it to him.
And now just invite Jesus and ask him, what do you have to say to me? Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's some kind of teaching or correction or just a feeling. Just welcome Jesus right now and say, what is it you have to say to me? Be still and know that I am God. I'm here with you. My spirit is filling your lungs with life. Be still and know that I am God. Father, thank you for safe places. Thank you for this brief moment where we could get away, get quiet, and see you and imagine you with us and know that you're with us, but also where we could hear from you and you could hear from us, where we could breathe deeply in your spirit. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for my friends who got to experience your presence in this moment. pray, God, that you're able to, and I know you are, but that they'll allow you to put the fire of how important it is to breathe in their hearts, and that they come back to this safe place and find you there in the midst of their day. All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.